to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, let's uh, dive in here. Last week, we have been in a series called The Kingdom of Heaven. We have been in this series, I say this every week, I have no idea how many weeks. We might have been in this series seven weeks now, but we have been looking at the, the Gospel of Matthew and looking at what the Kingdom of Heaven is. Jesus says, the Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. When Jesus came, Jesus ushered in a new kingdom. He ushered in a kingdom where when men and women come to faith in Jesus Christ, they are coming under the lordship and coming into the kingdom of heaven. And last week, we were, we were looking at Matthew chapter 7, and we spent the bulk of our time over these last several weeks looking at Matthews 5, 6, and 7. And this is where Jesus is teaching us how does he desire his people to live in his kingdom? His kingdom's here. He has called his people to come and live underneath the authority of him. Well, how are we called to live? Last week, we looked at the warning Jesus gave. Jesus gave this really, really alarming warning that that one day when we stand before our king, there is going to be many people that will come to him and call him Lord. And there will be people that, that did a bunch of religious activity And Jesus gave us this warning last week. He says, listen, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And we spent last week the bulk of our time looking at what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to actually like just come and follow Christ? And we spent a bulk of our time in Ephesians chapter 2. And I will just point this out. If you have not memorized Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10, I highly recommend it as your pastor. Ephesians 2, 1 through through 10 summarizes very clearly, very plainly, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And we spent so much time there because because I wanted to warn us because there can be people that think that that entering heaven and, and coming to Christ is based on works, based on like your good works or your good deeds. But Ephesians 2 makes it very, very clear that it is not. It is by God's grace and it's through faith. Well, there was some verses that I would like to circle back to that we did not get to last week. And I wanted to just circle back to these verses and remind us of what Jesus says at the end of these. So this is Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. And, and I'd like to just read these to you in summary of last week. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell in great was its fall. We read those verses last week, but I just wanted to just encourage us real quick before we dive into this week's message on Jesus's words here. Well, this week we are, we are continuing in the kingdom of heaven, and this week we are leaving the Sermon on the Mount. We are going to be moving on from his teachings, 
But what does his kingdom look like? Jesus came, he brought it, he ushered in his kingdom, and those of us who place our faith and our hope in him are now living underneath his authority and underneath his kingdom. Well, why don't you guys stand with me this morning as we read Matthew chapter 8. We're going to pick up in verses 23 through 34 this morning. So, so this is Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, verse 24. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the, by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, in verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Verse 28. And when he had came to the other side of the country of Gadernus, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. Verse 29, and behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. In verse 32, and he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the water. Verse 33, the herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the city, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Let us pray. Father God, as we look to your word today, Father, may you come and may you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Father, come and minister to us. Lord, we desire to just seek you this morning, to learn from you, to be found in you. God, we give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated here. So I've got to give you a little bit of backstory to what is taking place here. So... In the beginning of Matthew chapter 8, we see a lot of activity going on. Jesus had gone to Peter's mother-in-law's house to bring her healing. And while he was there, the entire city came out and, they, and the scripture says that Jesus healed all who were sick. And he was casting out demons and bringing healing to all of these people in this land. And then you will see a, a brief story of Jesus talking to some religious people. But I bring this up because that, this is kind of the backdrop to what is going on. So basically Jesus is, he is ministering, he is healing people, he is casting out demons. And the crowd is just coming around him. And there's just a ton of people coming to him. And Jesus says, hey, let's get into a boat and crossover. And I bring that up because we see what happens and we get a quick glimpse of what is about to take place. In verse 23, we're going to go through this verse by verse today. He says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. 
And behold, and behold, there arose a great storm of the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Now, many people have kind of wondered, like, why is Jesus sleeping here? You know, some people have even been like, well, maybe Jesus is trying to, like, teach his disciples something here. The reality is, is if you read the story a little bit beforehand, he was exhausted. Jesus was simply exhausted. He was sleeping because of all that he had just been doing. He was healing everybody in this village. He was casting out demons. He, and the crowd was coming around him. And when Jesus says, hey, let's just get into this boat and head on over. Like, it, I just share this with you because I've heard of people be like, well, maybe Jesus is trying to teach us something through his sleeping. The plain, simple facts are is that in this account, Jesus was just exhausted especially if you look at what had just taken place and there was no break there. I just bring that up just so that we can kind of understand what was happening here. Well, I do want to give you some interesting facts because I know everybody here loves geography. Am I right? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. Well, the Sea of Galilee is the sea that they were on. When you first, you know, when you read Bible accounts here, do you ever just try to visualize like just like what is taking place here? Every time I think about the Sea of Galilee, I think of like Teal Lake. And the reason why is because I think of it as being really small. You know, I live over by Teal Lake here, and when you think about this stuff, it's just like, oh yeah, it's just, you know, it's just a little lake. They're just getting on a little boat, and they're just crossing over here. The Sea of Galilee is really, really big. It's about 17 miles long, takes up about 64 miles, like, like 64 square miles. It's a very large sea. On top of that, the Sea of Galilee, which I find this to be an interesting fact, sits 600 feet below sea level. It's interesting. That's just where this sea sits. And they have actually realized that because of where this sea sits, the storms and the heat that come off of it can arise and create storms very, very quickly on this large body of water. Now, I know you guys all want more facts on the sea, but that's all that I got for this morning. But I just bring this up because you can understand and kind of get a picture of what is going on here, is that they're on this boat, they're on this sea, they're crossing over. Jesus is exhausted. He had just got done healing and casting out demons in this entire village, and the crowd had gathered around him, and they get onto the boat, and they cross over. And in verse 25... When, this, when the storm hit, they went and woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. It's also interesting, half of these guys in the boat already were fishermen. Have you ever like, thought about that? Like, say, like, these guys, like, like, like this, wasn't, this wasn't anything new to the people. You know, Jesus' disciples, many of them, they were fishermen. They had fished the sea. They had seen, seen many storms out here previously. And there's, and, and then here is Jesus sleeping. And it's almost like the disciples forgot who they were with. Think about this. They had just got done seeing miracle after miracle after miracle. Like just nothing but like the previous day, miracles. People coming, an entire city healed. And they get into this boat and they're crossing over. Jesus is tired. And they look to him. And they're like, Jesus, can you wake up? And can you save us? 
because we are perishing. And look what happens in verse 26 and 27. He gets up and he said to them, Why are you afraid? O you of little faith. And he arose and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. I like to visualize Scripture. I don't know if you guys, when you guys read Scripture, I don't know if you guys ever try to like place yourself into the story. Like, okay, like just like, let me just try to visualize this. And this story, you guys have probably all heard this story and read this story if you grew up in church. This is, you know, like you probably learned this in Sunday school class as a kid here. But really just try to visualize this. They're on the open water. Jesus just got done doing a bunch of miracles. They just saw all sorts of amazing things take place. They're on this water. The storm arises, and it's a bad one. And they wake him up, and Jesus' first words at him, his first words, why are you afraid? It's interesting. Like, his first words are like, kind of like, don't you know who you're with? Like, you know, and, and they forgot. Like, the circumstances, they just forgot about it. And then in a moment, moment, it says, Jesus rebuked the wind and the sea, and it was calm. Now, I have no idea exactly what Jesus said here. You know, it doesn't give us, you know, did Jesus stand up? Did he do like a Moses thing where he lifted up hands? You know, what exactly took place? But we do know the end result is that when Jesus spoke, it just went flat. Now, I think if any one of us were physically here, we would have had the same response as they did in verse 27. And the men marveled, saying this, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? We're looking at this account today, and we're talking about the kingdom of heaven because this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He created all of these men. He created this entire planet, this entire earth. And he is showing them that he's in charge of everything. He's literally in charge of even the winds, even the storms. He has all authority. There is, there is nothing that is not outside of Jesus' authority. Absolutely nothing. Now, we can forget that. They obviously did. And I think, I think you know, I, I'd like to pick on the disciples sometimes, but I think, I think if we were all really honest, you know, when you read Bible stories, it's sometimes like, you know, like, who are these people? We're no different. We're not like we would have been, you know, so much better and been like, oh, yeah, you know, Peter, Jesus is here. Don't even worry about it. We would have been freaking out too. But when Jesus arises, he just calms it. Now, now, I've heard many pastors and many preachers try to, like, allegorize this and try to say, like, well, you know, like, what are the storms in your life? And, you know, that's not what this is teaching here. This is showing the ultimate authority of who Jesus is. That there is nothing outside of Jesus' control. Outside of, outside of Jesus' kingdom, he is in control of all things. The wind, the healings, it doesn't matter. Jesus is in perfect control and he has authority over everything. But the story here doesn't end. And we're looking at this back-to-back accounts here because the boat eventually lands. So I just want to just 
remind us, Jesus just got doing, done doing all these healings, casting out demons. They're on the sea. Storm rises. Jesus displays his authority. I'm in charge of all things. Wind, be still. And it was just dead calm. But then they land, and they get to the other side. And the account continues. In verse 28, when they came to the other side of the country, to the country of Gadernus, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. Now, this is very important for us. Location is important because here they had just left the Jewish territory and they were entering into a Gentile territory. Now, for us today, we don't really care about, you know, all of these different things. But in the biblical terms, and I've said this quite a bit, it is really important to, to just kind of point this out. There was the Jewish people, and then there's the Gentiles. Gentiles are just anybody who is not Jewish. It, it, those are the Gentiles. And they're entering into a non-Jewish territory. Now, this is important because in those days, the Jewish culture and the Jewish religious people, they did not speak to the Gentiles. They weren't friends. You know, it, they didn't have the big melting pot that we do here in America. And for the most part, nobody really cares what your background is. You know, but in, in their time, this was important. This was like they're entering into the Gentile territory. And his disciples would have known this. They would have known, wait a minute, we're not on our land, Jesus. Like, like what's going on here? Well, they land here, and these two demon-possessed guys come out of the tombs. And this place is so well-known. It's interesting. Guys, Scripture points out these little things sometimes that we need to sometimes be taken note of. These two guys were living in these tombs, and they came out. And this, where these two guys lived, it was so terrible. And these guys were possessed and so controlled that nobody went there. Okay, like everybody knew not to go to this area. It's interesting that Scripture points this out. Well, look at what these guys say to Jesus. Verse 29. We get a little supernatural interaction here, which is, doesn't happen for us too much within Scripture. And it says, And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? It's interesting that we do get a little bit of a glimpse into the supernatural. Because we've got these two guys that are controlled by, by these demons. These men, their lives is so full of torture. They're living in these tombs. They're living in these caves. Nobody goes near them. Nobody likes them. Everybody knows about them. And they're living just this tormented, terrible life. And when Jesus shows up, look what takes place. When Jesus comes in, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the demons cry out like, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? This is interesting, guys. They recognized him instantly. There was no like, yeah, who, who's this guy? It's like they knew exactly who was standing before him. The kingdom of heaven 
had showed up and they recognized it. And they call him, oh, son of God. And then they say this line, have you come here to torment us before the time? It's interesting. These demons in this account here, they knew exactly where the story ends. Like, think about this. Like, they're literally asking Jesus, Jesus, like, are you here to torment us before the time? Like, they know that there will be a time, that there will be an end to their time, to who they are, to the, all of their power, to all of their torturing, to all that they're doing. They recognize, wait a minute, the Son of God is here. And are you here to, to torment us before the time? They know, like, their time is cut short. And we get this glimpse into the supernatural conversation. And these two demons, or it could be multiple ones, they're standing face to face with the Savior. And they're instantly afraid. Well, the story goes on, and it says in verse 30, it says, Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from there. This is also how you know this is not Jewish territory. The Jewish people do not herd pigs. I don't know if you know this. It's still true to this day. If you're from the Middle East, if you live in the Jewish people, don't eat pork. They're missing out on bacon, you know? They really are. So we know that they're, that they're in this other territory. Well, it says there was feeding at some distance from them in verse 31. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the water. The final judgment had not shown up yet. And I, I, I read many scholars this past week on this whole interaction, because this, this interaction is really, really interesting, that we see like, these demons speaking with Jesus, and they're afraid, and they recognize who he is. They recognize his authority. They recognize final judgment. And then they beg Jesus. They beg him, saying, like, okay, like, we recognize we're not welcome in these two men's lives anymore. Cast us out. Why don't you send us into that herd of pigs? And, then, and Jesus does. And I don't know why. To be honest with you, like there's, I, I, I don't even know like exactly why there because it's just, it's just interesting because, you know, I would think, you know, why didn't Jesus just destroy them right then and there? But they go into these pigs and what takes place? These, these pigs kill themselves. They run off a steep cliff and it says that they drowned. And... The herd, the whole herd, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the water. And one of my questions that kind of, this is like one of those unknown questions, well, what happened to the demons? You know, have you ever like kind of thought about that? Like, hmm, this is interesting. Like, are they dead? Are they just, you know, did they, are they like living in fish now? Like, you know, like there's just a little bit of mystery there. And we may live in the mystery and there are, Answers we don't know, but what we do know within this scripture verse is the authority Jesus has. Jesus has the ultimate authority. He can calm storms. 
He can cast out demons, and he can command them where to go and what to do. But we see that this Jesus of ours, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, he has total control. And when we follow him and when we trust him, we can know that he is in perfect control of all circumstances at all times. And think about these two men. These two men live in in these tombs, just being tortured day in and day out. They have it almost seems like they have zero control over their body. They're not even controlling what they're saying. They're so fierce and so angry that nobody goes by them. Well, look how this ends. Verse 33. The herdsmen. We forgot about this other group of people that brings it up right here. But the herdsmen, going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon possessed men. We get introduced here, guys, to the herdsmen. We kind of forgot about them, but pigs, kind of like sheep, they need a herd or, you know, a herdsman to guide them and take care of them. And in the country they're, they're currently in, there's these herdsmen that kind of have nothing to do with the situation, but the situation is going to drastically affect their lives. I find that part to be a little bit intriguing there. But these herdsmen, it says that they go into the city and they tell the people, everything that had happened. And the Bible points out this one fact, especially what happened to the demon-possessed men. So we don't know how this story takes place, but we know that they, they go into the nearby city and they're talking to the people. I don't know if they called a, called a town hall meeting real quick, like right then and there, but they go into this city and they tell them everything. They're like, listen, um... So this, so this boat showed up. Yeah, and uh, some guys got out of this boat. And um, remember those two crazy men? Remember like the two guys that we don't even go near? We have avoided that area for who knows how long. You know those two guys? Yeah, they're, they're completely better. Um, we don't exactly know why they're completely better. But, but we do know this that, that this, that this other guy was talking to them and talked to him face to face, and then they got healed, and then our pigs went crazy. And our pigs went so crazy that the entire herd went off of the cliff and drowned. And you can see people being like, well, the whole herd? Like, you know, like, like how many pigs did we lose here? And the shepherds are like, the entire herd is gone. It's gone. But the two guys, remember the two guys? They're doing really, really well right now. Look what takes place. Verse 34. It says, And behold, all the city, this news spread really, really quickly. (laughs) Because Jesus is still there, and we don't know if Jesus was just ministering to the two demon-possessed guys, but it says the entire city, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Hmm. Now, you would think that the story would end differently. You would think that because they had heard about the demon-possessed guys and they had heard about this area that they had been avoiding that now they can walk through again, there's now peace in that, in that area. And these two men who have been tortured for who knows how long, 
you would think that they would be excited. You'd think that they would be impressed and welcoming and saying, wow, it, it's, so, it's so amazing. I, I knew those guys. Those guys were absolutely crazy. But when the kingdom of heaven shows up, guys, it reveals what's happening inside of our hearts. It reveals what's going on on the inside. People don't always want the kingdom of heaven. You would think, those of us who have encountered Jesus and have come underneath his authority, we can't desire anything else, nor would we ever want to. But when the kingdom of heaven shows up, not everyone's open to it. Not everyone is excited about it. When the kingdom of heaven shows up to one person, it's a blessing. To another person, it's a curse. That's interesting here because this is what we are seeing play out here. They begged Jesus to leave. We don't want you and what you are doing here any longer. These people were so focused on what they lost that they missed the very thing that came to them. They were so focused on the herd. Now, to give them a little bit of credit here, um, I don't know if, if you've experienced this, but imagine this. You encounter Jesus. Jesus comes to your region, right? To your area. And does some amazing things. Heals people. Casts out demons. He shows up and he does this amazing work. But you lose everything. I mean, I mean, you can kind of understand a little bit here on why these people were upset. Why they, they begged Jesus to leave. Jesus, we, can you please just get back in that boat of yours and can you please just cross on back over? Because when God's kingdom comes, church, we all know this. But not everyone is going to see it as a blessing. They're going to see it as a curse at times. Just think if these guys would have just, just hung on a little bit. And instead of looking at what they lost, look at what they gained. Instead of looking at how much money they lost, looking at, man, Jesus, you just healed these two people. These two guys that we all knew who they were. We all knew how nuts this entire situation was. Instead of looking at what the kingdom does, they were so focused on what they lost. And I think sometimes, church, we can be there. Sometimes God's kingdom shows up. And if we're really honest, we, we don't always want it. If we're really, really honest, we don't always want the full effect of what Jesus can be doing. Because when Jesus shows up, lives become transformed. People become healed. But if it affects us in a negative way, we can miss the very thing that Jesus is trying to do. And I think for us as a church, we need to always be open to the kingdom work. God, like, like what Jesus says, how you pray, I want you to pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, no matter what the cost is, no matter what takes place, if I lose everything, God, I just want your kingdom to come and your will to be done. And here, this amazing blessing takes place and they reject it. And they say, we don't want it. And I think for us as a church, we need to always desire God's kingdom. No matter what. 
Because sometimes his kingdom, when it comes, and when his blessings come, and when his healings come, and when situations unfold, if we're looking at it through just our worldly eyes and just through our own little eyes, we can sometimes think, well, I, that's going to be a big sacrifice there. I'm losing something here. Instead of realizing what we are gaining, two lives healed, two lives restored. Instead of focusing on the amazing blessing, we can sometimes get so focused on what we might lose. And I think if we're really honest, we can all recognize that. But I think our desire and our hope always has to be in God's kingdom. God, we desire to see your kingdom come. We desire to see your blessing come. We desire to see your healing come. And God, just use me in the process. God, just... I. I just want to just be a part of what you are doing, no matter what it costs. And church, I think, I think that's our ultimate challenge for us this week, is that his kingdom is going to show up. And when it does, can we see through his lenses? Can we set aside maybe our own personal gain, our own personal stuff, and just recognize the amazing blessing that his kingdom can be? And when his kingdom is moving and flowing and people's lives are transformed and people are changed. Man, that's what, what we should be desiring as a church. God, come and transform lives. God, come and change my heart. Change, change my neighbor's heart. Change, change these people's hearts and minds around us. Heal them. Bring them to you. God, use me in any which way you want me to be used. That's our challenge, church. I'm going to ask for you to stand, and I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. As they come, I'm supposed to have a song for, for Garrett, but I don't know any of the names right now, so Garrett is going to let us know. But let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. God, we thank you for your word today. Father, help us to desire you. Lord, help us to just desire for, for your kingdom to come. For you to come and work within our lives and within the people's lives around us. And Father, help us to always want more of you working in our lives. God, we give you praise this morning. We thank you for your word and Lord as now as we sing to you and as we worship you Father come and continue to meet with us and minister to us this morning give you praise now in Jesus name